That's for that. So I hate embarrassment. Oh, uh, my wife uh, used to be a fan of the TV show called The Office. And um, I would cringe every three minutes on that show. I'm like, oh, and I'd walk out. What's wrong with you? I can't take it. Um, How you dealt with embarrassment, humiliation, shame. Um, This month we're dealing with the king and the cross. And the challenge today is this. I didn't have a video today that could depict how much Jesus was humiliated on the cross. So I decided to show humor, um, even though I cringed every single uh, (laughs) minute of the video. But nevertheless, Jesus was humiliated. He didn't uh, feel guilty. He wasn't shamed. He wasn't embarrassed. Jesus was humiliated. And this is a very powerful point in our culture. I believe it's one of the reasons why many people decide not to come to church. Some people, they wrestle around with their their struggles. And instead of coming to church and coming to God to get those things right, they decide to stay away because they don't want to feel guilty. Even though God sees everything anyway, they don't want to get challenged which is fundamental in our faith. Back in the day when people hear a message from God, they would weep and cry and commit themselves to God and get back right with Him. But our culture today is so different that when you make somebody feel bad, they think that is sin. They think when you make somebody feel guilty, they think that act in itself is wrong. Repentance and change are fundamental to the cross of Jesus Christ. It's a hard thing to talk about, but it's so true. We talked about it last week. Uh, one of the, the epithets or titles or the accusation that was above Jesus' head. Does anyone remember what it said? <laughs> Oh, Lord, help me. It said, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And we broke that down. What Jesus means is what? God saves. Nazareth, the separated. God saves the separated. King, uh, ruler, of the Jews or Hebrews, those who are passing through life. Jesus Christ represents those who, in a sense, have put their faith and trust in God. But not only does he represent them, he is God. And when he died on the cross, he showed the world how much God loved each and every one of us. He was willing to be humiliated. Now, there's a couple of definitions I want to hopefully address when we get into the sermon today. Guilt is a feeling you have when you committed a wrong act. I did something wrong. I I feel guilty because of that act. Shame is similar to guilt because these are all internal. When I feel ashamed, it's because I've done something and I 
feel unworthy, less valuable. I feel that's who I am intrinsically. And Jesus Christ died for our guilt and our shame. Jesus Christ went to the cross for our guilt and our shame. He took those things away from us if you're willing to put your faith and trust in him. When he was on the cross, everything we were guilty of and the fact that we may have felt like we were ashamed of ourselves, Jesus Christ was nailed to the cross for all those things. So you don't have to walk around in life feeling insecure that you're not worthy or not good, but you have to have the courage to keep pressing into the presence of God every time you make a mistake. You don't have to just come here to church to do that. You can be at home. You don't need to always tell everybody every single mistake you make. God knows. The challenge for you is will you turn to God and say, God, I blew it. I blew it, God. You don't need to ignore it. Why ignore it? He sees it all. He knows it all. You're deceiving yourself when you don't think he knows. There's nothing you can hide from God. The healthy thing to do is to confess God. Lord, I see the same thing you see about my actions and I feel guilty. Because if you're willing to feel guilty, then you're willing to be convicted. And conviction is what God uses, the Holy Spirit uses to turn you around. There's a good guilt and there's a bad guilt. And I'll label today conviction the good guilt. The guilt the Holy Spirit uses to get us to change. We are on the highway to not heaven. See how I'll switch that? <laughs> and God has shown us a straight and narrow path. So we have to take all of our shame, all of our guilt, and give it to God. Now on the other side, there are two other definitions I want to talk about. One is embarrassment. Oh, and that's what I feel often. Embarrassed. Now my embarrassment is my disclosure of something I don't want other people to see, but they see it. One time I was... um reach into a youth group so already understand the dynamics that are present they were about uh 13 well let me see about 12 through 18 and I'm a youth pastor and I'm preaching and I'm preaching hard to the kids I'm trying to get them to come to Christ I was a youth pastor of over 3,500 people and as I'm preaching I go I blow up my nose and a oh I don't want to describe it too much <laughs> just say it wasn't dry <laughs> projectile came out of my nose and fell on the ground in front of all the students. And I'm like, oh, oh, these are, these are teenagers now. You know this ain't going to go over well. I'm like, oh, and they are horrified and petrified. They're like, Wah! and they're laughing. And I'm like, oh. Let me go under the earth. Consume me, Laura, with the earth at this moment. I was so embarrassed. I had done something, and they saw it, and I wanted to go and hide. But I couldn't. I just started my sermon. I had a long, long way to go. But I endured through that. I persevered, and ultimately people got saved during that sermon. See, if I had turned around when I was embarrassed or walked out the room or, or gave up, God couldn't have moved. And I believe that's the challenge of our time, 
to press in past our feelings. Your feelings now can be the biggest hindrance from you accepting God. We're no longer a culture based on principle and truth. We're based on feelings and emotions. And we, even more interestingly enough, can define any term the way we want. So when we talk about truth, we say your truth or my truth. We talk about emotions, we're talking about your emotions or my emotions. We're, we're talking about your interpretation, your interpretation, my interpretation. It's so ambiguous and so relative. We don't even communicate anymore. Sometimes my concern is as I'm talking to you that you're not hearing the words that come out of my mouth. I'm like, man, how many definitions have I communicated that they don't even comprehend what I'm saying? Not that they're not comprehending what I'm saying, but they're interpreting everything I'm saying in a different way. That's when I have to trust God's Holy Spirit to communicate because I don't have the gift to be able to decipher every single word I'm saying. And I trust God to speak to your hearts because when he speaks, you'll listen. The challenge you have is to push past your emotions and hear what the Holy Spirit is saying. Don't let your feelings hinder you from the greatest gift in history. Time is short, but in that time, you have to have the courage to turn to God. Many people want the blessings of God, and we get the blessings when we endure past the embarrassment. The last definition is, Humiliation, and I'm from West Virginia, so I didn't even pronounce that correctly. But humiliation, <laughs> I got it right that time. And humiliation is when somebody has authority over you, intentionally exposes you, and then tries to hurt you because they have leverage. I've been humiliated. Intentionally, it's done intentionally, not by accident. And I'm telling you, it's one of the most hurtful things that can happen. If you ask me right now, do I want to be humiliated for Christ? I tell you 10 times out of 10, no, I don't. Most people say they don't want to suffer for Christ. I'm like, yeah, okay, maybe I can deal with it. Maybe I don't know how bad the suffering is, but being humiliated, oh. And we have to wrestle with those emotions. But the beauty of our God is what? When Jesus was on the cross, we always depict him as uh, a man with a thorn of crowns and, and this garb around his midsection. But that's an a- inaccurate because we can't show you how he really was up there. Do you know when he was on the cross, he was completely buck nude? <laughs> he was naked, absolutely naked. And people don't understand the shame the people had when they saw him up there. His disciples who were still there sitting there watching him being tortured and killed. And people were heaping insults on him. What are you doing? You're supposed to be the man. You're supposed to be the Messiah. Well, come down if you're such a big bad. And then I'll believe in you. Oh, he was being humiliated. But it was for a purpose. It was for us. He did that all for us. He took that. He bore it. He paid the price so that we can be free from these emotions that trap us. Some people don't realize that during the fall of humanity, our emotions were also affected. Not only our emotions, our intellect. Not only our intellect, our bodies, our feelings. Physiologically, we have been affected. That's why we are dying because of sin. 
which humanity now, with our intellect now growing and expanding, realize that sin itself is in our DNA. It's something we can't run from. So my question to you today is, the point of Jesus' humiliation should be to motivate you to be faithful to God despite any feelings, any challenge, whether you're successful or whether you fail. Jesus Christ paid the price. I'm not saying you're going to make every last second shot like I did in basketball or you're going to score the last second touchdown like I did or was that an interception? Well, I don't know. There's been so many. <laughs> I don't know if you'll win every time or be successful. But that's not how we win in Christ. Jesus Christ ended his ministry on the cross. Utter failure. He only had 12 people in his church and one of them betrayed him. And he's supposed to be the man. I'm not, Dora, I'm not mocking. I'm trying to make a point, Lord. You're supposed to be the miracle worker. But his success was not based upon numbers, dollars. His success was based upon faithfulness. And Jesus Christ was faithful until the end. And your challenge today, despite whatever emotional angst you may have in life, as it pertains to your walking with Jesus, whether it's on the job, whether it's in the public, whether it's watching TV, whether it's watching the presidential election, whatever emotional angst you may feel because you are a Christian, understand Jesus died for those emotions. And when you feel humiliated, guilty, ashamed, embarrassed. He is there and made himself vulnerable. Take those emotions to him. He can take it. He died for your emotions as well. Let me pray really quickly. Father, God, I ask you in a brief time I have to help me to be able to speak your word in truth so that you get glory out of this. In Jesus' name, amen. have a, a pretty quick quote here I want to read to you from a man named Peter Beck, and it says, it's really small because there's a lot of words in it, but nevertheless, evangelical humiliation is something we all must go through, not for growth, but for salvation. He says, you see, if you're not embarrassed by your sins, you'll never seek the protective covering of Christ's sacrifice. If you're not humbled by the realization that God knows every deed you've ever done and every thought you've ever thought, you'll never realize the eternal situation you're in. Without evangelical humiliation, you will one day stand before Christ on the judgment seat and talk with great pride of all the wonderful things you've ever done. And after listening patiently to your pathetic vida, or curriculum vida, you know, that's Latin for life, Christ will raise a hand to stop your me-centered monologue in his tracks. With a wave of the hand, he'll utter these devastating words, depart from me, for I never knew you. He says, talk about being caught with your zipper down. If you can't open your Bibles, I believe, to Matthew chapter 27. And we're going to read verses 20, no, 32 through 44 very quickly. Now, as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simeon, uh, Simeon by name, who's African. Him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they had come to a place called Golgotha, that is to say a place of the skulls, 
they gave him sour wine mingled with gall to drink. But when he tasted it, he would not drink. Then they crucified him and divided his garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Hold up right there. What's happening here is prophecies being fulfilled. These prophecies were done 700 years before this event. So Matthew is written to which demographic or which audience? Matthew is written to a Jewish audience. Understand that. He's writing to people who are Jewish, who understand the law. And Matthew's making the point that this happened just as it was prophesied. Meaning God's in control. And that's the point. God's in control. And 37. And they put up over his head the accusation written against him. Look at this. Last week it was what again? Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. This week is something different. This is our mystery for this month's sermon series. How could all four of the Gospels have different accusations, yet we claim the Bible to be 100% accurate? And my challenge for you today is if you stay to the last week, I'll give you the answer. <laughs> I'm serious. But you can wrestle around with that for yourself. It's great study for yourself. Why would every single evangelist give a different accusation? And we're claiming the Bible to be true. A lot of people have walked away from their faith because of this. They're like, the Bible's not accurate. There are four people saying four different things because each one is different. But I'll make this proposition for you. The Holy Spirit knows exactly what he's doing. I believe this is how our faith works. That when it seems like there's a reason to doubt, you have to say in your mind, but I trust God. I don't know the answer, but I trust you. I'm telling you, how many times have you been in that place? God, I don't know. I can't make sense of this in my brain, but Lord, I trust you. And because I trust you, I'm going to hold on in faith. And then when you take that stance, usually, you know what happens? You get the answer sometimes. But there are times when you say, Lord, I don't know, God, but I trust you. And you know what? You don't get the answer regardless of whether you get the answer or not, do you trust God? This is a very specific title. We need to focus on it today. It's very important. Remember, he's writing this to a Jewish audience. And the Jewish audience has been privileged to have the closest relationship with God more than any other people group on the planet. They've had the laws. They've had the kings. They've had the prophets. I mean, these Jewish people are awesome, period. Paul says we owe so much to them because they held in there. I couldn't have held in there. They went through more stuff that I could even imagine and still are going through stuff because God will use them to reveal himself to the planet. That's how God works. God made a covenant with them. And because he made not one, not two, but three covenants with them, he's going to fulfill them. But the beauty of Jesus Christ is that in him the covenant is fulfilled. Jesus Christ died on the cross and made a way for every human being on the planet to be saved now this is the problem with today's sermon that title right there is embarrassing it's humiliating did you know the jewish people thought that jesus christ when he came would be a warring messiah 
They looked at the promise given to David, and they thought, well, man, when Jesus comes or when this Messiah comes, he's going to be the man with a battle axe and a sword, and he's going to come in here and help us conquer the Romans and conquer the Hittites and conquer the Malachites and conquer the Canaanites. He's going to help us go around and get revenge on everybody who held us captive, the Babylonians and the Persians, the Assyrians. He's going to come and save the day. That's what God promised. We believe it. They put all their stock and all their hope in this man, the Messiah, coming and fulfilling the Scripture. And because they have justified reason to be upset because there are a lot of Scriptures there that Jesus had not fulfilled yet. I said last week, when you look at the promises given to Mary, you have to understand not one single promise given to Mary was fulfilled in her life. Go back to the angel Gabriel. Not one. But she has to trust God. You know, you go back to Mark, and Jesus is preaching and casting out devils, and Jesus' family, including Mary, come, and they find him, and they're like, man, this dude's crazy. We got to get him. He's losing his mind, it says. And Jesus goes on to say, you know, my brother and my brothers are these disciples, are those people who do the will of God. There's this ultimate conflict happening there. And you see consistently the disciples ask Jesus, when is the kingdom coming? I'm ready to be on top. I'm ready to rule the earth. And Jesus is like, no, it's not, not the time. Hold up. Hold up, player. Um, that's a vernacular. I won't use it again. Hold up. It's not time. Slow your rope. I won't use it again. <laughs> they kept waiting for all the promises, the wealth, the position, the power. They were arguing, I'm going to be at the, the best seat. You're going to be at the best seat. I'm going to be the most important in heaven. They were constantly warring about where they're going to be and what their status would be in heaven here on earth. But Jesus Christ came and went to the cross. He wasn't the first Jewish man to claim to be the Messiah. He wasn't the first Jewish man who claimed to be the Messiah and went to the cross. During his time, there was an event where over 2,000 Jewish men who, in an attempted revolt, were crucified at the exact same time. And now you're looking at Jesus, this miracle worker, going to the cross and being humiliated. And they're having to work through that emotional angst. <laughs> That's our king? God, I am. I can't believe that's him. That can't be him. What makes him different than anybody else? What makes him different is that unlike every other human being in history, what did he do that no one else did? He was resurrected from the dead. But they had to hold on for the resurrection. They had to make it, and none of them figured it out. When Jesus Christ was captured, all of them betrayed him and left. It's a humiliating thing for the Jews at that time to say, that's my Messiah. That's the one God sent. It's shameful. And many of them couldn't accept it and turned away from him and forsook him because, like, that can't be the one. You know, it's so funny today, and many people who are Christians wear crosses. <laughs> they don't understand that's just like wearing an execution chair or a gas chamber around your neck. That's not a sign of anything good. That's a sign of a brutal punishment. But go ahead and wear them. I'm not trying to say don't wear them because that's the sign of God's glory. 
that Jesus Christ did not give up. He had the same emotions you do. He could have turned and walked away. He could have ran the other way and said, forget it, God. And that's what was being, that's why it was a temptation. Come down if you're the man. And then we will believe, and maybe they would have. But if he would have came down off that cross, we would all still be in our sins and hopeless to be right with God, eternally damned. But Jesus Christ hung in there past his time of temptation and died a gruesome death. He was buried. He was in the earth three days and was resurrected never to, de- to see death again. And he's foreshadowing what is coming to us all. We're going to live forever. And at that time, we will have true happiness and smile and rejoice and give each other high fives and then we can hug without feeling embarrassed or worry about how we smell or <laughs> what we ate. We can really love each other. But until then, we wrestle with the commands of God. And that's what Israel means. We wrestle with God's command. God, can that be true? Do I got to be faithful? I don't feel like it, God. Wrestle with that. Could what this passage be saying be true? Yes. There's times in our lives where you may have to be humiliated for Jesus. But if you are, understand, the world may look down on you. But God does not. The Bible says this road to heaven is straight and narrow. It's not this equivalent ratio where there's going to be 50% of humanity is going to heaven and 50% is going to hell. That's not what the Bible says. It says few. 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 <laughs> I work hard for that. And I'm being serious. Few will find the road. It's easy to do whatever you want, to turn around from every challenge, to do what feels good. It's hard to do God's will because you know what he's doing. He's crushing our hearts, and he's changing it. He's putting water on it and molding it like a potter into something beautiful, a vessel for his glory and not our own. Verse 38 It says, then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and the other on the left. And 39, it says, and those who passed by blasphemed him. This was interesting. Wagging their heads and saying, you who destroyed the temple and built it in three days, save yourself if you are the son of God. Come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also mocking him with the scribes and elders said, He saved others. Himself he can't save if he is the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and then we'll believe. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now if he will have him. For he said, I am the son of God. I tried to use the voice. I don't know if it worked or not. The point is, he's being humiliated. Don't you know Jesus in one second could have came off that cross and be like, bah, and then put himself back on the cross, bah, and they'd be like, oh. <laughs> he could have done that. I mean, he could have done a lot of things. 
He could have done so many things. But this is challenging. He was on the straight and narrow. God has a straight and narrow path for your life. It doesn't seem easy, and it's not. And you cannot do it under your own strength. It's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. If you decide to stay and follow Christ to the end, it will get hard, but there will be some days that will be worth it. Your happiness will come from your ability to stay close to Jesus Christ. You'll take great joy in that. That can be your joy. Sometimes, I'm, I, I, there's a point in my life where I didn't want to be in God's presence. I didn't want to go to church, and my goodness, I didn't want to be embarrassed for God. I did not want to, and no one could get me to do it. But I went through life, and life was crushing me without God's help. Been through divorce, been cheated on, adultery, been betrayed, let down, people giving me the words and not keeping the words, talked about all those bad things that happened to every one of us. I'm no different than you are. But through all that, I realized God's asking me one thing. Be faithful. Be faithful. Let's get into the points and we'll get out of here. What do you need to know? Jesus did not allow being shamed as a means of justifying sinful behavior. Because of his faithfulness through his shameful experience on the cross, he gave God the ultimate glory. Jesus showed us the pattern. Man, you know what I want? I want this life to end in my brain. Pastor Vashon, Sarah and Ron, Ruthie. I want my life to end like this. Oh, my gosh, at my funeral. He was so faithful. Look at the thousands. And I'm going to go to like The Rock. And thousands. It's like The Rock. I don't say you watch wrestling, don't watch it, but I'm just trying to do it because it just came to my mind when I was talking. All these people there at my funeral. There's a man. He was a man of God. And I want to be just like him. I want to be faithful until the end. I want to win souls and make disciples. And I want to be welcomed to everlasting arms. But the more I look at this game, man, that's tough. I got gray hair. <laughs> I know I look young, but I'm not. Gray hair is popping up everywhere. I'm waking up. My, my wife's younger than me, so I'm trying to be like young and <laughs> she's killing me. Killing me, everybody. I need rods. I need some help. I'm out of shape, and she's just. I'm like, get up and get the trash. That's my job. Can you take the boys and get get them a bath? Oh, I can't. I can't bend down. <laughs> I can't bend down. Okay, babe, I'll do it. Cause I'm trying to be young. Yeah, I'm back at the gym working out. It's getting harder. At 135, I was bench pressing 400. I'm struggling 130. Oh, <laughs> it's too much. But regardless, I'm realizing the weaker I get, the stronger I'm becoming in God. I'm not saying it's don't work out. Work out. I'm not saying there's not a point to it. There's a point to it. Obviously, there's a point to being in shape. But get in shape spiritually. Like Donna said, spend time in the Bible. We talk about tithing. We do here at this church. We do like every other church. But we're, we're trying to hit you over the head with get in your Bible. Read your Bible. Listen to your Bible. 
listen to sermons about God. You have all the technology in the world to eat, sleep, drink God. But what happens when it's not appealing, when you don't have the desire? What do you do? You pray for it. It's that simple. Lord, I don't have a desire to be in your presence. I don't have a desire to do the things that you want me to do. And I need you right now because my feelings are not, my proclivity to worship you is not there. I need you to give that to me. I trust you for it. The Bible says one plants, one waters, and God gives the increase. But you have not because you ask not. Why do you need to know it? To inspire you to remain faithful despite being shamed. God wants you to be faithful. He wants that. Because we are married to Christ. And just like someone who's married, he requires you to be faithful, to be intimate, to be caring. Do you know the one thing God cares more about? He wants you to emotionally care about him. He wants you to invest in him emotionally. He wants that. Some people don't realize I spend time in prayer consistently because God's there. And God's like, I'm waiting for you to come. Oh, you said you're going to pray with me every morning. God's right there waiting on you, literally waiting. I'm right here. You were here two weeks in a row. Let's go see. Third week, you want to do it? And you stop. A week goes by, you forget, you don't pray. Two weeks go by, you stop praying. Three weeks, now you feel so bad and guilty, not praying. Like, forget it. You know how it is? Oh, forget it. I'm in sin. I'm going to go all the way with the sin. You laugh, but you know that's true. I sin. I might as well just run down this road. Instead of fighting those emotions, push back into God's presence. He is worth it. He's worth it. He's worthy of even your shame, your emotion, your guilt. What do you need to do? Allow Jesus' humiliation to give you motivation. He took it. He paid the price. We tell you to be faithful to your spouse, to be faithful to God, to be faithful to all these different things that are aligning up with God's will. And we're like, I can't do it. That feels embarrassing. Trust Christ. He pushed through emotionally. He was emotionally vulnerable on the cross, completely bare and naked. He did it, why? Because he loved you. Just you. Like, we're, he's not a fantasy. He was a man, but yes, he was God. I don't want to get too far on the mystery of God, but all his emotions were there, and he was disappointed on the cross. He was let down, but he knew it had to happen. It didn't make it easier. You're going to make mistakes. It doesn't make it easier. But you have to trust he's so loving and gracious and good. He's still there for you even when you miss it. But you have the courage to go to him when you miss it. Keep going, Jesus. Peter said, where else are we going to go? Go to Jesus. Why do you need to do it? So you can, have, so you can give God glory on all occasions. If you can get this emotion thing right, your feelings, if you can win this and let God redeem your emotions, then you can give God glory in every situation. You'll be one of the most powerful people of God on the planet. But man, sometimes when you're out of shape, it's hard getting back into shape. It feels worse. Sometimes when you're not 
used to pushing in past your feelings, it feels like difficulties. <laughs> it feels hard. It's hard pushing in there, pushing into God when you're hurting. It's hard pushing to God when you're embarrassed. It's hard pushing to God when you're guilty. Push in anyway. Push in. You have to decide if you want this. No one's going to stand in front of Christ with you. You'll be there by yourself. But we'll all be there watching you. And you know what I want to say when you're in front of Christ? Hallelujah. Good job, girl. You made it. Good job, Pastor. You fought through. You did not give up. You ran. Woohoo! Yes. Good job. Good job. Good job. I want to say that for you. I want that. That's all I'm doing this for. I believe in eternity. You're going to get some of God's blessings here on earth. That's a promise. Significant blessings. But comprehensively, they don't come until eternity. So until now and then, you have to trust God every day. Be faithful over whatever little he's given you. And he'll make you rule over much. This is about kingship. We're being made to be priestly kings. We are being prepared for an eternal position. Despite your looks and intellect, despite your capacity to communicate, all these gifts were given to you because God's trying to refine them for eternity. God has a plan for your life for eternity. But do you trust him during this test to give your life to him every single day? Every day God asks you, do you trust him? Every day do you trust him? And every day you have to say yes. So how can I help you remember Jesus was shamed for your gain. I worked hard for that. Jesus was shamed for your gain. Jesus was shamed for your gain. It's up to you. This is a fixed game, they say. You can win. You just have to surrender your will to God. Just like you're a person playing basketball. You have to prepare yourself every single day, dribbling and passing and shooting. Just like some again prepared to play football, you have to prepare every day, working out and training. Just like a person running track, you have to prepare every day, training and building your body and eating right. Just like a person who's preparing for college, you have to study every day to get those grades, to pass those tests. There is preparation essential for you to become the person God wants you to be. But if you're not willing to pay the price, then how you perform? Tests are going to come. Jesus says storms will come. Prepare yourself. So that when the storm comes, you know how to walk and live. Don't let shame, mistakes, don't let sin keep you from coming to God's presence. He died for that. That's the point. He knows we're all sinners. We all make mistakes. I could give you my sins this week. The list will be very long. I'm still a pastor. <laughs> don't leave the church. I'm not going to tell you what they are. <laughs> I'm serious, but I'm kind of like not serious. Am I a failed human being, flawed? Am I broken? I'm all those things. I'm weak, but he is strong. And you can be strong. Just admit you're weak. His shame is your game. You got this. So remember, because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, 
because he, he was humiliated. He was done terribly wrong so that you can be secure. At this church, we haven't talked a lot about the cross. My hope is going forward, I could talk about the cross every day. I want to put it in every sermon. I don't know if I'm going to do it, if I remember to do it, but I'll try. Why? Because you're somewhere in the process. Either you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and looking at the cross, you're like, oh, I'm not willing to pay that price. It's too steep. I don't want any of that. I don't want any of the pain. I want none but pleasure. You may be there. Or you may be on the cross right now. You may be saved. You're like, oh, this is painful. I don't want to change. I like who I am. You may be in the ground and dead to the world. You may be right now saying, you know what, I, I've seen everything the world got and many got nothing for me. But there's a resurrection. Some ministries focus on the resurrection. We're going to talk about it. Because there's resurrection power in your life now. If you've been saved, if you've died, if you've been buried, and now you're resurrected with Christ, then all these great and precious promises are for you. There's reason to hope, reason to keep running, reason to keep believing. God wants to bless you, not just for yourself, but so other people can see that God is working in your life. But you need to work out all those difficult issues in your life, the difficult issues with God. You need to wrestle with God. You need to be able to hear God's voice for yourself. You need to be able to open that Bible and find the place to go when you're in trouble. You need to become his disciple. You need to follow him until the end. Let me pray for you. Father, God, I ask you to bless this church. Bless this ministry, Lord God. Give us the courage to be who you want us to be. I ask you, Father God, to bless the people here, Lord God. I pray they've been very patient with me today. And I pray, Father God, you bless them so they know, Lord God, they're on the right path. I'm not asking to, you know, whether it be money or whether it be a word, whether it be a loving hand, whatever it is, Lord God, encourage their hearts. You have such great things planned for them. Help them not let the process of transformation, of sanctification, make them afraid of what you're trying to do in them. As these people come up to my right and to my left, there, there are going to be people up here who, who want to pray for you if you need prayer. I want to ask you right now, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you're looking at the cross and you haven't said, you know what, I believe Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, while all heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I'd like you to just raise your hand real quickly and we'll pray for you. Is there anyone here today that wants to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior and be received into heaven for eternity? If you're here today, then we want to pray for you. Is there anyone here today that you've walked away from Christ, you stopped trusting Him, you stopped believing Him, you said, you know what, that straight and narrow is not for me. I'm going down the broad path because it's easier. If you're walking down the broad path, you want to come back to the straight and narrow, you want to come back to the King of kings and Lord of lords, the Lord who conquered the cross, who conquered shame. If you want to come to him today, then while all heads are bowed and eyes are closed, you want to get back with Jesus, raise your hand really quick and we'll pray for you. 
Well, no one raised their hand, but if there's someone here today that needs prayer for any issue, physical, mental, emotional, these people are here and they, they'll pray for you and they'll encourage your heart. Now let me pray. Father, God, I ask you to bless each person here. Encourage their hearts and mind. Help them grow in grace. They'll become more like you. Help them, Lord God, deal with the emotional angst they may feel, Lord God, by you and your presence, your commands, and help them trust you and find security in you so that you get glory through their lives. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Amen.